0: i didn't hear because i was kind of in my own little bubble of not feeling great
1: yeah, so I didn't know that either. I woke up this morning and I texted my co worker because we went in on some tickets together. And I was like, So I'm guessing we still have to go to work till- on Wednesday. And he's like, <laughs> like, And then I, then I looked up the thing and I was like, Wait a minute. They didn't do the drawing last night because there was an issue. So I, I don't know if they're doing it tomorrow night or what. I don't know what they're doing. Okay. So mm. there's still a chance that I'm a millionaire.
0: <laughs> woo, 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 woo. I love it. Actually, Get all the money.
1: Yeah, no, it would be millions because I think by the time you pay taxes. After taxes. Yeah, it would be millions because you and then there's two of us so you're splitting it down. Right. That's all right. I mean, I'll take multiple millions. It's fine.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: I can get a house with my own goddamn room.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it.
1: I can get a whole she-shack. Not even a shed. Whole she-shack
0: a she mansion or at least a mini McMansion, a she mini McMansion.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm here for that. Yeah. I'm here for that
1: girl can dream. In reality, I will be going
0: back to work like a, the
1: piece of shit. I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dreaming is good.
1: Dreaming is good. Yes. I love your shirt. I didn't realize you were wearing an Aaliyah shirt. Oh, Oh it. Yeah. I like
0: it. My brother gave it to me. He knows my brother. Be a fan. Yes, hot, hot brother. brother. Hot brother. He gave it to me. Yeah. Hot
1: brother better watch out because if anything ever happens to Jesus, <laughs> coming for him.
0: <laughs> and my brother is handy as hell. Uh huh. You know, like those men that could just like fix anything, instructions Stop. or not. Stop my brother is always tingly. Been, okay. I'm just saying, like, even <laughs> as a child, He could like put things together and like hook up electronics. Even as like a child, like I'm talking like eight, nine, he could like do, he's, he's great. He's great. We keep talking like that. He's actually a a sister man. And he's clean. He's clean. You know, he's very clean. Damn me. So. You just want me to be your sister,
1: don't you? Well, I do. I do. I like that hot brother has no say in this scenario.
0: But <laughs> like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, The date is.
1: <laughs> we bought you a suit. It's really nice. You'll like it.
0: Oh, no. he He's a shopaholic. He has a- smoker. You can pick can the music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Whew. Anyway, so what are you reading or what have you currently finished, Miss Church Lady? Oh.
0: My goodness. I, I finally started uh, the, the is it called the Ripley series? Um, I don't know. Oh, the I Talented the, Mr. Ripley. Yes. I started I the Talented Mr. Called. Ripley. Uh, the Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. And oh my gosh, it's so fun. It's so good. And yes, it is called the Ripley series. And there are five, five primary books, which I have them all. Mm-hmm. And I'm really loving it. Like we start off and we're already into the action and it already lets the reader know like whatever is going on with Tom, it's a lot because we're Mm -hmm. already into like his anxiety of him thinking he's being followed by these people. We don't know who these people are yet, but She keeps dropping these breadcrumbs that kind of lead us into finding out like who Tom is, what he's about, what he's into. She's just like sprinkling these breadcrumbs here and there. And I love how she's like kind of drawing that out. Um, I just I'm enjoying this so far. I'm only I'm only 51 pages in, but. I think this may be a favorite. I just, I'm liking the vibe and the mood. I'm enjoying the pacing of the story. I'm already very intrigued by Tom. He's quite the character. He's also like, kind of like shifty. He feels a little sinister in a lot of ways. And also, I don't know, like a, like a really, think of a highly produced video, but like scam. He's like a highly produced scam artist. That's what he's feeling like to me. Like he knows, he picks up on, What people want to hear and he does that he gives that to you like he's really reading the mark and whatever Mm -hmm. he's getting from that reading of the mark he's like transforming himself like on the fly to like fix and like give that person what they need so that they trust him he is Mm -hmm. like shifty and i love it i love it so i
1: have always heard about that series and i've never read it and i'm very curious so i want to I can't wait to hear your final thoughts on it, and then yeah. I might feel like Naomi, please thrift them, because whenever I try to find Patricia Highsmith at Barnes and Noble, it's like not there. I find Barnes and Noble very frustrating around me. I don't know if other people feel the same way, but like a lot of the books that I want aren't there.
0: Now, are you talking? So, first of all, I lucked up, right? I mm-hmm. this was right after you came to visit me, and I had to go back to McKay of course. like that very next weekend. And
1: mm-hmm. when I
0: went, they had they had three of the five in the series. And I ordered the, the last two on, on eight books, but, um, they had like a lot of Highsmith. So if you're, I feel like if you're looking for backlist, it's harder when you're looking at mm. Barnes and Noble, is that what you're talking about?
1: Yeah. But like Patricia Highsmith is in there. Like, so my, the one we go to the most is, I, I don't think that any Barnes and Noble that I go to is local, but, um, the one we probably go to the most, they have like a little section. They have like one row that is split into, like, three sections. It's, like, classics, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, queer, and, like, something else. Right. Um, and she's usually in there mm-hmm. somewhere. Uh, and that little, like, row is usually where I find Patricia Highsmith. I never find her, like, in any other sections in the store. And right. it's, like, collected works or, like, specific – It's, like, it's not um, – it's not a robust selection because it's only a handful of shelves and you've got a whole bunch of different people that are and classics aren't just like uh Jane Austen it's like a whole mismatch of classics from like Nancy Mitford to like Jane Mm -hmm. Austen kind of thing and um I don't know I just find it frustrating I, I find I find bookstores now really frustrating I think because I don't have any indies by me and like a limited selection in indies doesn't bother me as much does that make sense i don't know i feel like like, it's a small
0: they're working with less as it is so they have to really like they have to have a very highly specific curated selection of books so they can't get everything they probably want to get
1: yeah and i know we have a used bookstore or we did not too far from me and it's still far but like not too far from me but I don't remember it being very good when I went the last time. But now I'm so much more invested in like literature, if that makes any sense. And like, oh, yes, I, might, it does. Absolutely. I might be, I might find more stuff there if I went. But I don't even know if it's still open because I haven't looked since um COVID and everything. So many things yeah. you know, are gone post-COVID. So. Yeah, anyway. unfortunately. So I have uh, a nonfiction book for us. So I read the face maker not too long ago by Lindsay Fitz Harris, and this was phenomenal. Um, uh, I, this is about uh, one particular surgeon and yep. And the work that they did during world war one in terms of um, reconstructing people's faces and trying to give these uh, returning uh, soldiers, some semblance of uh, a normal life. Cause there was a lot of stigma attached to coming home. And there were all these wounds that they had never seen before and this surgeon really pioneered facial plastic surgery. And what was remarkable to me was one, some because I used to work with a facial plastic surgeon. So like there were some things that uh, basic uh, stuff in terms of like reconstructing a nose and 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 the way that he's figured out how to to do that, that really is being used today. Um, and it's watching how it was kind of pioneered and perfected was really interesting for me specifically mm. per, on a personal level. But it was also just crazy to see how, quickly he was making these advances and had to out of necessity and also thinking about how different the time was and the ability he had to do certain things because he basically ended up with his own little hospital system where he was taking care of all these people and he was basically doing experiments procedures on patients which is kind of um, unethical in a lot of ways especially now but he was doing these these on on what was actually like a large number of people so he was able to perfect uh a lot of techniques and by the sort of the end of the story and after a few years like you could see how he went from like point a to point b and the amount of progress that was made in a relatively short period of time simply because there was like the need there was the like the the system in place to facilitate it and there was a a, a large body of people that um, he could work on. But then it also talks about a lot of people that were doing other things around uh, just reconstruction or whatever. So there were a lot of people that were making different masks and stuff
0: mm-hmm. that
1: people could wear and fit on them to fix different areas on the face. Cause a lot of people's faces were totally like just mashed mm-hmm. in and things. And um it, it was just very, very fascinating. Uh, probably lots of triggers for people because if you don't like certain things, if you don't want to read about medical history and surgery, don't. Uh, but if that's something that interests you, like I like, I find I find the history of medicine really fascinating because a lot of the history of medicine is barbaric and you would
0: you look oh, yes. back
1: from today on things and you're like oh my god I can't believe that we would do it and then you realize that like in a hundred years time we're going to be doing that to us they're going to be like I can't believe you gave chemotherapy to people when you could be doing magic pixie oh dust gosh. or whatever the hell the thing yes. is you know you're so and, right, like, yeah. and it's 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 just it's, cr- it's crazy and I and fascinating and I loved it and the writing is really good and it's relatively short and there's a lot of really wonderful pictures in here that I won't show just in case anybody is you know upset about all at all. But, like, this is the guy, Harold. Good old Harold. And he's just, like, this guy that really liked to golf. And <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he, like, that's, like, a big thing about him is he liked golf. And um he had this, like, like, little ragtag group of people that he got together with, like, a nurse. Like, he's got, like, you know, his, like, main nurse. And he's got this guy who would do all these artistic drawings and stuff. Because they were figuring stuff out as they went, you know? And so it was it's just really... It is fascinating to be in somebody's brain like that cuz that's like that is the kind of talking about like your h- hot, hot brother and being able to put things together. Like those are very special brains I feel like. Like if when you can pioneer like any sort of new mechanical engineering like technique. Like that's it's impressive, yeah. right? When you figure For out sure. how to do a surgical procedure, you figure out how to to do the things that they do um it's really interesting, and it's it's it's, it's awe inspiring that someone's brain works like that because, like, my brain doesn't work like that. I, I can't Absolutely. problem solve like that, but it, it yeah. And um, oh gosh, there was something else I wanted to tell you about it. I can't remember. Uh, I'm getting sinus distraction, but
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's really worth the read if that this is a kind of topic that you would be interested in. Um, yeah, and it, what it's am- amazing to me is like the amount of uh, the personal stories that are in here and some of the things that these poor soldiers had to deal with, you know, like mm-hmm. fiancés leaving them because they came home disfigured or yeah. like really lovely relationships between maybe like a nurse and a, and a soldier who ended up growing close on um, the sad stories of the patients that he loses. Um, it's all very, it's all, it's, it's very moving. It's, it's a hard read. Uh it's, it's very sad a, a lot of the time. But it's also very fascinating. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of feelings in this book. Also, oh, I know what I wanted to say. There is a – and early on in the book, they talk about – I think I said this to you while I was reading it. They talk about, like, how there was never, like, an army, like, general dentistry sort of thing. And, mm-hmm. and how – At some point after one of the wars, maybe it was Crimea or something like that. They figured out that they needed to have a dentist on board because like a lot of the problems were that soldiers were just dying from poor dental hygiene. And like, I never thought about what I never thought about there being like an army dentist. And you're like, Oh, I guess that makes perfect sense. And then, The way that these dentists and these general dental surgeons played a role in the facial reconstruction and how some of these guys don't even get the same recognition as the the actual surgeon surgeons because technically they're not surgeons. Like they're not on the same level and they're technically wouldn't be allowed to do a lot of the things that they did do because it's just like – i don't know i just thought it was like a nice moment for wow. dentistry which i feel like yeah. kind of gets shit on as like a medical profession and i was like yeah dentists right, matter <laughs> wow i think they have some of the highest like suicide rates or something like that i remember reading so like dentistry what, matters if you're in a, general yeah if you're a dentist you matter <laughs> wow
0: yeah i am uh that is my uh that's going to be my work read because it's a library book. So I'm not going to annotate it because I don't own it. So it's something I can just listen to Mm -hmm. while I'm driving to work, to and from work and while I'm at work. So I'm looking forward to that because I need to take this back to the library at some point this month.
1: You're going to enjoy it, I think anyway. So with that being said, we are here to give you some recommendations for nonfiction November, which we will be like in the middle of November when this comes out. But if you're looking for some nonfiction to read, We've got a bunch of them for you. And do you want to go first? Uh,
0: Yeah. So I'm going to have one less than you because you've just talked about Facemaker, which is also my list. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. So we're good to go there. Um, I am going to recommend, and I'm looking forward to reading this, and you are the one that brought this to my attention. And it is Off With Her Head. Oh, I need to read that. woman in power by Eleanor Herman.
1: Does your library have it, Maybe. Uh, I don't think they did. I don't know. I'll have to see My library is in a temporary building right now. So I'm like, not.
0: Okay. Well, let me read a little bit of the, of the flap. Uh, so it says, imagine Donald Trump as a woman called Donna. Would Donna, would Donna Trump have been seen as blunt, honest, and refreshing? Or would she have been viewed as arrogant, unpresidential, and boastful? Would she have won the election? Imagine Hillary Clinton as a man. Harry Clinton says and does the exact same things as Hillary. Would Harry Clinton have been portrayed in a thousand images as a witch on a broomstick or called a, witch, a bitch on countless T-shirts? Would, this thought, would his thoughtful, circumspect answers to media questions have been seen in inauthentic, secretive, and, and untrustworthy? There's a particular kind of rage, usually reserved for women, especially women in power, for vying for it from the ancient world to the european renaissance up to the most recent u.s elections the misogynist handbook as eleanor herman calls it has been widely has been wielded to put uppity women in their place sometimes with deadly effect
1: sometimes i think the reason why men don't like women is because they're if women can successfully be as powerful and equal to them and they can make children and they can have the home and they can do all these things then like what's the point of them right. like they get like pushed out and i think like it's just think about how threatening that is
0: right and so that <laughs> and again that is off with her head Three thousand years of demonizing woman in power by eleanor herman
1: I need to find that damn book already. Anyway.
0: I'm going to move to something that we're both <laughs> reading this month. And hopefully that'll okay. even
1: out our numbers. And that is Teaching White Supremacy. That should even out our numbers. This is by Donald Bone. Oh, shit. Okay, I tried. Because um, <laughs> we're reading this together. Yeah, I know. But that takes... Another, oh, <laughs> shit. That takes another one off your list. That's fine. Shit. Okay. Anyway. I Math is not my strong suit when my sinuses are going. So this is... <laughs> was love, Thankfully takes a great... Thank you, Pantheon, for presenting this to us. I, I can't. Yes,
0: thank you, Pantheon.
1: I can't talk. So this is a powerful exploration of white supremacy, past and present, in America. How our democratic principles developed out of it, and how generations of our nation's most hallowed educators and their textbooks have insidiously fostered racism at all levels of learning, from the years of colonization and the Revolutionary War to the 1800s to today's questioning 21st century. So I just we're just super psyched for this. First of all, it's beautiful. So okay, Second of yeah. all. Like, I feel like this is something we talk about a lot. And this is something that Mm -hmm. in retrospect, I know I particularly have looked back as I've been doing more research and get reading more nonfiction and I don't know, not, and moving away from my right wing childhood. um, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, realizing how much, or how many like almost like half truths have been told to me. Let's, let's put it there. Like, because we will talk about something like the trail of tears, but we won't really talk about the trail of tears. Does that make sense? Right. Like, oh, we, yes. like there, there, whereas, you know, the revolutionary war, they would go on for weeks. So it, it's, 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 yes, it's, so, so I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I can't even think words. I'm just so, yeah. so curious to read this. And I feel like this is going to be like a lot of like, yeah, like head nodding.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, like the moment i saw it damn on the, straight. List, <laughs> the moment i saw it on the list i was like oh yes um gotta gotta get that one so we will be mm-hmm. reading this and discussing it on a future episode so stay tuned for that but we are pumped to read this book
1: do you want me to do a second one so we can even out
0: sure i still feel like we have two on here that are the same two more that are the same
1: i don't know maybe, maybe Okay. Not. So I have The Divorce Colony by April White. This was sent to me by Hachette a while ago, and I haven't gotten to it yet. So this is about – it's very short. It's about uh, this town in – oh, God. North – South Dakota. In Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where in the 19th century, women could go there and more easily divorce their husbands. And so there was this, like – colony of divorced ladies that in like the 1800s just living in south dakota live in their best freaking lives and i'm like how have i never heard of this i need to know more about this like that's basically that's basically it and so this is being read this month for sure and if you've read this i want to know what you think we need to discuss this just sounds
0: that's fascinating really good
1: but of course, I mean, the sad part about this is that it's going to obviously be women of a certain income bracket, women with privileges, you know, women that mm-hmm. are my color <laughs> that are getting these divorces because I'm sure there's right. a element of you have to be able to be able to afford to go all the way out there just to get divorced. But we'll see right. how it goes.
0: That's I can't exciting. go back. And,
1: I can't go back and change history. Even if I think it's sad.
0: So. Yeah, but it's just it's still an off. interesting idea though.
1: Yeah, cuz you just don't think that women had the that kind of power and I guess they kind of did.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: At least in one moment, like one space At, in time. Right,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My next one is The Devil's Highway: A True Story by Louise Alberto Yuria and <clears throat> This says uh, in May two thousand one, a group of men attempted to cross the Mexican border into the desert of southern Arizona through the deadliest region of the continent, the Devil's Highway. Three years later, Louise uh, writes about what happened to them. The result—I don't need to read that part. Um, I hate when there's not like a, just a clear synopsis, but it's very short, so that's what it is. Um, I I picked this up on a whim at a library book sale. I've never heard of it before. Never heard of this author before, but Anything about the U.S. border is kind of intriguing to me <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what happens and what has happened along that border. So I'm hoping I can really get to this um, this month. So this is still very topical and current, right? We're still I talking about the border. And um, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, until they fix immigration itself and, you know, all those things, it's going to be an issue. So I'm looking forward to reading this and to see what this what happened with this group of men who attempted to cross this border in May, 2001.
1: Well, I'm just realizing that I have a ton of old arcs. I like, I, I have so many nonfiction books from publishers. So there's going to be a lot of thinking going on as we go through this. Uh, You're going to see a theme, I think eventually as we go through all these, but all right. So from uh, St. Martin's, I was sent uh, a while back. This came out in August, how to be authentic Simone de Beauvoir and the quest for fulfillment and this is an introduction to the philosophy of Simone de Beauvoir and how it relates to modern life. So it's a sort of, it's not her writing, but it's someone writing about her writings. If that makes sense. And yes. I read my first Simone de Beauvoir book, I think, earlier this year, or end of last year, and I really, really enjoyed the writing. So when I was offered this one, I was like, I have to try this. So I'm really yeah. excited to to get into this one. I think it's going to be interesting. And I love the the cover. I think it's really
0: the cover's cool. awesome.
1: And as we all know, I'm terrible at reading my arcs. They do get read eventually, but it's on. It's it's eventually going to get read. <laughs> but I do think it's going to be a really fascinating read. And yeah,
0: I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. All right. My next one I, is fair Oh, what were you going to say?
1: I'm just trying to think of what we could have any more in here that's the same. Anyway, keep going. I know,
0: I'm looking <laughs> at. I'm looking at two that we're going to be reading together. All right, go. Uh, so. you know, what are they? All right, my next one is Fairyland. <laughs> what did <I> agree to? <laughs> Something, some things. Okay, Fairyland: A Memoir of My Father by Alicia Abbott. Oh, I think I heard about this from maybe the Book Riot podcast uh, last year. Um. So this is a beautiful, vibrant memoir about growing up motherless in the 70s and 80s, San Francisco, with an openly gay father. After his wife dies in a car accident, bisexual writer and activist Steve Abbott moves with his two-year-old daughter to San Francisco. There it is, there, there, they discover a city in the midst of revolution, bustling with gay men in search of liberation, few of whom are raising a child. Steve throws himself into San Fran's vibrant cultural scene, He takes Alicia to ruckus parties, pushes her in front of the microphone at poetry readings, and introduces her to a world of artists, thinkers, and writers. But the pair live like nomads, moving from apartment to apartment with a revolving cast of roommates and little structure. As a child, Alicia views her father as a loving playmate who can transform the ordinary into magic. But as she gets older, Alicia wants more than anything to fit in. The world she learns is hostile to difference. And that, that is Fairyland, really A Member of My Father by Alicia Abbott. Also sounds sad. Nice. Yeah.
1: All right. So I don't know where to go here. So Let's go to something I bought myself. So last time I saw you, I bought Trail of Tears, The Rise and Fall of the Cherokee Nation. I just realized I could have put something else on this list that I'm currently reading. But anyway, so this is by John L. E. A. I'm not sure uh, how I'm probably saying that wrong. But talking about the fact that we sort of briefly touched on the tear, the trail of tears and I know nothing about it. I did pick this mm-hmm. up because I was like, girl needs more information. Um, but also, you know, we, we, we're still at this point in recording, haven't done our life for there, there um, night of the living res or night on the living res, whatever the words are. Cause my brain's breaking, you know, you and I, we still need to sit down and do our discussion of the, the indigenous books that we've read and mm-hmm. one of the things that we've talked about is, is how there's like an element of, I don't know what the right word is, but it's almost like uncertainty about talking with it with any sort of authority because it's yeah. a topic that we realize we don't know a lot about Correct. because we have not been told it it like yep. it highlights the fact that the whole history of the indigenous people especially in this country has been like eradicated from our understanding and so it's almost like we're still we're still trying to gain understanding um so how do we talk with respect and reverence um exactly. that it requires so yeah so this like this is something i definitely have to get to um, sooner rather than later, because I just I think it's going to be a really important read, and yeah. yeah, oh, there's lovely drawings in here, and oh, it's going to wow. be sad. It's going to be really sad. I mean yeah. the things. Oh, it's just going to be really sad. Anyway, sorry, I'm just looking at it and being sad. So yeah, trail of tears. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever oh. so like so just to be depressing for a second? So. <laughs> Cause you know, I'm an emotional creature. So just, that just made me think of yesterday. They announced that they were doing a walk of honor at work. So like when somebody passes and they donate their organs, when they go to the OR to like get those organs, like we line up in the hallways and we like, there's a walk of honor for the family and the body and everything.
0: And I've like, you know, on TikTok and it always destroys me. It's like, I
1: can't go to them. Because it makes me, like, just talking, I was explaining it to somebody yesterday when they called it overhead. I was like, you should be like, I started, like, choking up. I was like, I have to stop. <laughs> okay, real? Yeah. So staring at that book just gave me that same feeling where I was like, I need to go over there for a second because I'm going to be upset. You're going to be a mess. Yeah. So, like, that's going to hurt me a lot, I think. But I think it should You're hurt me. to so. Yeah. It I, should absolutely. be hurting.
0: Absolutely. I have to look for that book. Um, yes, you do. I have to look for we that should book read for it sure. together. We should. All right. My next one. I finally found a copy of this. And this is Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland by Patrick Radden Keefe, whom I absolutely adore. He's a fantastic (laughs) journalist. And um, all right. So this is in December 1972. Gene, Gene McConville a 38-year-old mother of 10 was dragged from her Belfast home by mass intruders. Her children clinging to her legs. that never saw her again. Everyone in the neighborhood knew the IRA was was responsible, but in a climate of fear and paranoia, no one would speak of it. Uh, So it says this mesmerizing book on the bitter conflict in Northern Ireland and its aftermath uses the McConville case as a starting point for the tale of a society wracked by a violent guerrilla war, a war whose consequences have never been reckoned with from racial and impetuous IRA terrorists, such as Dolores Price, who was planting bombs and targeting informers when she was barely out of her teens to the spy games and dirty schemes of the British army to Jerry Andrew Adams, who negotiated the peace, but betrayed his hardcore comrades by denying his IRA path. Say nothing conjures a world of passion, betrayal, vengeance, and anguish. I cannot wait. To read this
1: I do need to get that one um, but I will I will have a lovely segue here and we can go rogues the stories of yeah let's do, it, killers, let's, do it, let's do it Alyssa let's do it Alyssa we need help um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this these are 12 enthralling stories of skullduggery skull I, I think I said that right and, and intrigue by one of the most decorated journalists of her time uh, bu- 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 let's see if we've got. So he brilliantly explores as the explores explores Yes, we have a podcast. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he brilliantly explores the intricacies of forging one hundred and fifty thousand dollar vintage wines, examining whether a whistleblower who dared to expose money laundering at a Swiss bank is a hero or a f- fabulous fab fabulist f a b u l s l i s t fab Fabulous? I don't even know how to say that word. What? Okay. Since time in in Vietnam with Anthony Bourdain chronicles the quest to bring down a cheerful international black market arms merchant and profiles a passionate death penalty attorney who represents the worst of the worst among um, other bravra works of literary journalism. I don't know. Fancy words. But Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sounds interesting.
0: Thank you, Double Day, for sending me an advanced copy and a finished hardcover copy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Double Day, for
1: the hardcover, the finished copy.
0: All right. Now, what do you want to do? (laughs) All right. I'm going to go up next with Nobody is Protected How the Border Patrol Became the Most Dangerous Police Force in the United States by Reese Jones. Thank you, Counterpoint,
1: for this interesting
0: hardcover gifted copy. So it says, late one July night in 2020, armed men identified only by the word police written across their uniforms began snatching supporters of Black Lives Matter off the street in Portland, Oregon, and placing them in unmarked vans. These mysterious actions were not carried out by local law enforcement or even right-wing terrorists, but by the U.S. Border Patrol. What were they doing operating so far from the boundaries of the United States and at a protest that had nothing to do with immigration? Nobody's Protected is the untold story of how, through a series of landmark but largely unknown decisions, the the Supreme Court has drastically curtailed the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution in service of policing borders. The Border Patrol exercises exceptional powers to conduct warrantless stops and interrogations within 100 miles of land borders or coastlines, an area that includes nine of the 10 largest U.S. cities and two-thirds of the country's population. Mapping the Border Patrol's history from its bigoted and violent Wild West beginnings through the legal pre- precedents that have unleashed today's militarized force. Guggenheim fellow Reese Jones reveals the shocking true stories and characters behind this most dangerous policies with the border patrol intent on exploiting current laws to transform itself into a national police force. Understanding their influence and in history has never been more important. I think this is going to like knock my socks off. Nobody's protected good. how the border patrol became the most dangerous police force in the United States by Reese Jones. All right.
1: So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a step away from America socks and bring in Britain. So I have Butler to the World, how Britain helps the world's worst people launder money and commit crimes and get away with anything. Britain, you suck too so this yep. is by oliver oh. Bullo. um this came out in june and this is in this one he unravels the dark secret of how britain placed itself at the center of the global offshore economy and at the service of the worst people in the world the suez crisis of 1956 was the nadar of britain's tw- 20th century the most um, the moment when the once superpower was bullied into retreat, the Great Great Britain has lost an empire and not yet found a role, said Dean Archerson, a former U.S. Secretary of State. Um, Archerson's line has entered into the canon of great quotations, but it was wrong. Britain had already found a role. Their leaders of the world just hadn't noticed it yet. Butler to the, to the World reveals how Britain came to assume its role as the center of the offshore economy. Written uh, uh polemically, but studded with witty references to the butlers of popular fiction. It demonstrates how so many elements of modern Britain have been put at the service of the world's oligarchs.
0: Whoa. Okay. Yes. That sounds good. We're not the only ones who suck. (laughs) Wow. That sounds like a really good one. All right. My next one is... Again, thank you, St. Martin. (laughs) Mm. All right. <laughs> You're okay. These are draining. My next one is Half... <laughs> I'm struggling here. My next one is Half American, the epic story of African-Americans fighting World War II at home and abroad by Matthew F. Delmont. Thank you very much, Viking, for this gifted copy.
1: And it
0: says... More than 1 million Black soldiers served in World War II. Black troops were at Normandy, Iowa, Iwo Jima, and Battle of the Bulge, serving in segregated units and performing unheralded but vital support jobs, only to be denied housing and educational opportunities on their return home. Without their crucial contributions to the war effort, the United States could not have won the war. And yet the stories of these Black veterans have long been ignored Cast aside in favor of the myth of the good war fought by the greatest generation. I think this is gonna be very eye-opening. Half American. Think- the epic story of American African Americans fighting World War II at home and abroad by Matthew F. Delmont.
1: Why do I feel like there's a book? You're just reminding me of it. There's a book about like Black West Point graduates or something in world war ii i don't have to look into it anyway so is this another one we have one person one vote the, a surprising history of gerrymandering in the united in america yes it is ma'am
0: <laughs> thank you for le- sharing this book to us
1: <laughs> by nick seabrook it's election day here in the united states when we're recording this so yes it's important to vote indeed okay Let's see what we got. In this fascinating, revelatory and important book, we come to understand how and why gerrymandering is now one of the 21st century's clearest and most present threats to our democracy and what we must do before it's too late to protect our sacred hard-fought principle of one person, one vote. Vote. Read it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got really I get really upset i get really upset when women don't vote i feel i find even if i don't agree with your vote i feel like it really pisses me off because we weren't just gifted that vote like we yeah we had to fight for it like anybody who had to to fight for their vote like what are you doing not voting come on come on people exactly you weren't just a white man with the God-given right to control their own lives. You had to fight for that. So get out there yeah, and use absolutely. your voice. Get out
0: there and you, you exercise your right to vote. Mm-hmm. All right. My next one I'm very excited about. So it is Martha Graham, A Life When Dance Became Modern. I, I knew you were going to get that. I
1: knew you were going to get that.
0: Thank you, Kanaf, for this. Yes, because so I studied dance my entire life, but I studied mainly ballet and jazz. But when I got to high school, um, and I was majoring in dance and I took a modern dance class. It just kind of blew my mind. And so we had the option yeah. in high school to focus on ballet or modern. This is the first time I shifted from ballet and I moved to modern. Uh, shout out to my modern dance teacher, Marilyn Byer. She was a beast. I love her dearly. So Martha Graham, we it's always like learned about. Mother of modern watched. dance. Yes, and watch other companies perform some of her pieces, and she was just legendary to us. Um, so I'm excited to read this biography about Martha Graham. Thank you, Kanoff.
1: Oh, we should do a girls weekend in the city during ballet season. We can go to ABT and be traditional and go to City Ballet and be a little bit more modern. We can go down to Alvin Ailey yes. and have a little fun.
0: Yes. <sighs>
1: so, one day. yes.
0: She's like, yes. do it
1: now. Okay. Yep. Uh yes. so let's go into like more medical stuff. So from Lindsay Fitz Harris, I also have the butchering art, which talks about um Joseph mm-hmm. Lister and his like quest to not make Victorian surgery so disgusting. Uh the butchering you art, Lindsay Fitz.
0: Time. I love that cover. Okay, that is very good like car. So
1: in the butchering art, Lindsay Fitzharris reveals the shocking world of 19th century surgery on the eve of profound transformation. As surgeons put on their blood streaked aprons and aligned their instruments, hundreds of men would crowd in a dirty operating theater, ready to be enthralled by the spectacle. In a time before anesthesia, surgeons were lauded for their speed and brute strength. Surgery was a show. But no matter how quick the operation, the mortality rate for patients was just as high as ever. Surgeons were baffled by the mysterious, mysterious ailments that claimed the lives of their patients until an unlikely figure stepped forward: young, a young, melancholy, quaker surgeon named Joseph Lister, who would solve the deadly riddle and change the course of history. Um, there also, I wish you would do a book on. I can't remember his name. I think he was German, Prussian. I don't know. He was. Uh, a surgeon that realized that all these women were dying after birth because the medical residents were like going to the morgue and like touching bodies and cadavers and things. And then they would be performing births and then these women would be getting infections and nobody was washing their hands. So he was like, can people just wash their hands? Which in retrospect, you're like, Oh my God, why would you not wash your hands? But like people just didn't think about stuff like that. And so like, but he ended up being, like, now there's, like, a statue to him, and he's, like, he's, like, like you know, lauded as a, a great con- contributions to medical science, right? But he, he was, like, ridiculed, bullied. I think he, like, died either by suicide or, like, insane in, like, a sanatorium what? or whatever. Because he was so just, like, they, like, made so much fun of him about washing your hands. I can't remember what his name is. It starts with an S. Anyway, so, yeah. So, History of medicine is wild, Daryl. It's
0: wild. Insane. Wild. Yeah. All right. Listen. My next one, the Sassoons, the great global merchants and the making of. I knew you were going to get Duncan. that too. <laughs> Sassoon. You know, I was going to get this. How can you not? Thank you, Pantheon for the gifted copy. <laughs> You read it and said she's going to ask for that one, isn't she? That's what you said. <laughs> I was like, pass. <laughs> All right, let me read the back. It says For more than two centuries, from the 18th to the 20th, they were one of the richest families in the world, known as the Rothschilds of the East, and for four decades were the chief treasurers to the pashas of Baghdad and Iraq. The Sassoons built textile mills and factories. Developed ports and set up branches in banking, shipping, mining, and oil in Burma, Malaysia, uh, Malaya, and China. Then expanded beyond to Japan and farther west to Paris and London. Sassoon's became members of the British Parliament and Barons were knighted, owned, and edited Britain's leading newspapers, including the Sunday Times and the Observer. I'm just... I had to know. Yes. I had to know the Sassoon's the great global merchants and the making of an empire by Joseph Sassoon. Thank you. Again I love how many, me.
1: I love how many things we have in common. And then the places we just absolutely diverge. It's, I know, it's wonderful. It's so There's crazy. so it's much crazy. that we're like, we're here, we're here, we're here. And then we're like, and it's like no. <laughs> so we're going to stick with the medical bent. Cause I have a few different like medical stuff. Cause clearly it's something that I enjoyed this. I got because of Jess Owens and I have been waiting for the right time and by time, I mean, like, mental headspace to read this, because I know it's going to destroy me. But uh, Medical Apartheid, The Dark History of Medical Experimentation on Black Americans from Colonial Times to Present by Harriet Washington. And it's exactly what it says. Uh, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's going to look at our abysmal history of what we have done to black bodies in the name of science. It is horrendous. Um, I know bits and pieces of what we've done. I This is going to pull off more, like layers and show me more things I didn't know and I'm going to be really upset <laughs> so I'm yeah. waiting for I, I you know nano is not the time to read this I think it'll put no. me into a depression but soon I need to prioritize reading this because yeah I, I it's like one of those like I need to know I don't want to know but I need to know so I'm gonna read right. it because just because you don't want to know bad things doesn't mean you need you don't need to know bad things we need to know this. right so
0: otherwise I'm we do for to
1: Yeah. I bought that one. Like I think it went on Amazon. I got that like after watching the saga both like kind of like online and personally between me and Jess like being there for her. Yeah. No, (laughs) I was like, I have to own this, but I don't know if I'm ready to read it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. um, I hope I can get my hands on a copy of that too. All right. My next two, you do have I don't know if you're sharing them today, but you do have them because we'll be reading them and talking about them. All right. So my next one is Water, a Biography. Oh, I don't have those on this list. Okay, good. All right. Water, a <laughs> Biography by, I don't know how to say his name. It's
1: like Giovanni something or other. It's something Italian sounding.
0: Giolio, Giolio Bucaletti. Thank you, Vintage, for this gifted copy. Um, I've it's a so beautiful book. It
1: is a it really is book, beautiful. beautiful book.
0: All right, so it says, <clears throat> um, Um, so uh, Boccholetti shrewdly combines environmental and social history beginning with the earliest civilizations of sedentary farmers on the banks of the Nile the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers he describes how these societies were made possible by sea level changes from the last glacial melt incisively examining how this type of farming led to irrigation and multiple cropping which in turn led to population explosion and labor specialization we see with clarity how irrigation structure informs social structure, inventions such as the calendar spring from agriculture and necessity, how in ancient Greece, the communal ownership of wells laid the groundwork for democracy, how Greek and Roman experiences with water security resulted in systems of taxation, and how the modern world as we know it began with a legal framework for the development of water infrastructure. Uh, Water, a biography richly enlarges our understanding of our relationship to and fundamental reliance on the most elemental substance on earth. Water, a biography by Giulio Boccaletti. Thanks again, Vintage. I'm so excited to read this
1: definitely very very interesting no i don't have this and i don't have the other one on this that or the the other one on this list um because i knew you were going to pick them those ones were in my mind and i knew you were going to pick teaching white supremacy which i just figured we would have one the same i didn't think about the other ones um so um we will get out of medicine soon, I promise. You guys didn't know you were coming here for all the, like, medical history. Breaths, did you? <laughs> um, guess what? You're getting them. Because um, a lot of things came out this year. I have a lot of arcs, and I'm super excited to read them. Eventually, when I have freaking time, um, the story of medicine through the history of transplant surgery, it's spare parts by Paul this came from st martin's it came out this may and it's it's um an original look at the history of medicine itself through the rich and compelling and delightfully macabre story of transplant surgery from ancient times to the present day because i think we forget that there are or there were like very very old and ancient to us uh successful transplants of certain things and we forget that that really did happen we think of transplant surgery as one of the meta of the medical wonders of the modern world, but transplant surgery is as ancient as the pyramids with a history more surprising than we might expect. Paul Craddock takes us on a journey from 16th century skin grafting to contemporary stem cell transplants, uncovering stories of operations performed by unexpected people in unexpected places, bringing together philosophy, science, culture, history, and history and cultural history. Uh, Spare parts explores how transplant surgery consistently tested the boundaries between human animal and machine and continues to do so today. Transplant is fascinating.
0: That sounds interesting.
1: I'm all like how we decide to be able to do things and how we make them work is just it will forever fascinate me with medicine. Yeah. So I guess it's a good thing that I work in medicine. Um
0: yeah, that sounds good though. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sorry, okay. The lighting's getting bad in here so I'm trying to adjust the camera
0: but All right, well, hopefully this is my you last can still see one. Me. Oh my yeah, god, so this I have my to... last one. Well, how many more do Wait. you have? <laughs> I still well, have five. A, 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 because we had a lot. We both had one person one vote. We both had teacher white supremacy. We both had rogues. we both both had facemaker.
1: I have so. a lot of books. Okay, keep going. I guess, I guess All I'll right. just I'll just bombard you guys with a bunch of shit at the end here. All
0: <laughs> right. So, my last one is papyrus the excuse me i'm draining i'm so sorry people the <laughs> ambition of Just... books in the ancient world by irene vallejo um and this is translated from the spanish by charlotte whittle thank you thank you Knopf, for this beautiful copy mm-hmm. again so excited to read this let me uh tap into the uh synopsis a little bit It says, long before books were mass-produced, scrolls, hand copied on reeds pulled from the Nile were the treasures of the ancient world. Emperors and pharaohs were so determined to possess them that they dispatched emissaries to the edges of the earth to bring them back. When Mark Anthony wanted to impress Cleopatra, he knew that gold and priceless jewels would mean nothing to her. So what did he give her? Books for her library. 200,000, in fact. Hello! I Uh, would like that. I know. The long and eventful history... Of the written word shows that books have always been and will always be a precious and precarious vehicle for civilization. I'm just so looking forward to reading this.
1: Yeah, I have that so one good. too. And and the, I, the cover it's, is just it's stunning. Beautiful. Jesus wants to read it too. We're all very intrigued oh. by that book.
0: Yeah. I know when so. when I asked for these three, I immediately got into the DM. I was like, Did you ask for these two? Because I just knew Yes, woman. I, I want to read them with you. <laughs> I just knew, it was like, I need to read these with Alyssa. I just we need to read them. So, all right, we're gonna slowly get our way out of medicine stuff. I'll go
1: quickly here. All the living in the den by Haley Campbell. This is uh, sort of an exploration of our history, our like our cultural norms with death. It's from embalmers to executioners, an exploration of people of the people who have made death their life's work. Um, we are surrounded by death. It's in our news, our nursery rhymes, our true crime broadcasts. Yet from a young age, we are told that death is something to be feared. How are we supposed to know what we're so afraid of when we are never given the chance to look? Fueled by a childhood fascination with death, journalist Haley Campbell searches for answers in the people who make a living of work by working with the dead. Along the way, she encounters mass fatality investigators and balmers and a former executor who is responsible. Oh, sorry, a former exec- executioner, not an executor. Those are different things. Who is responsible <laughs> for end- Who was responsible for ending 62 lives. She meets grave diggers who have already dug their own graves, visits a uh, cryon- cryonics facility in Mi- Michigan, and goes for late night Chinese with a homicide detective and questions a man whose job it is to make crime scenes disappear. So it's, I've heard really good things. Um, I've St. seen Martin- that, Alyssa.
0: And I was like, what is that
1: look?" Is- St. Martin also sent me this one. I get a lot of nonfiction from St. Martin apparently. But um yeah, really excited to get this one. I loved it's uh uh Caitlin Doty, who's wrote the um When My Cat Eat My Eyeballs and When Smoke Gets uh-huh. In My Eyes and all of that, mm-hmm. which I love her books. Uh she she's blurbs on the front and it's
0: Okay. Yeah
1: anything that even remotely touches Caitlin, I will read. Uh because I think that she what she's doing with with normalizing Passing is really nice. And I mean, passing yeah. like death, not passing like, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I also have an autobiography of our galaxy, the Milky Way, by Moya McTeer, which is beautiful and fascinating. I want that. And this is from Grand Central. And this is like, okay, uh, like take a look around you, human. What do you see? Everything you've ever seen or touched is a part of me. Yes, even you, you vain, filthy animal. It all began began some 13 billion years ago when clouds of gas scattered through the universe's primordial plasma could not keep their metamorphical hands off of each other. They succumbed to their gravitational attraction and the Milky Way was born. Since then, the galaxy has watched as dark energy pushed away its friends, as humans mythologized its purpose, and a galactic and as galactic archaeologists work to determine its true age rude along the way the milky, milky way has absorbed supermassive black holes made enemies of a few gal- galactic neighbors and mourned the deaths of countless stars our home galaxy has even fallen in love i mean it, it just sounds yeah, like I, a I lovely love beautiful uh look mm-hmm. into our galaxy um we got this together. I feel like we're just like listing books for you, but <laughs> this is Natalie That's Haynes. That's what this is.
0: That's what this is.
1: Pandora's Jar. We usually go way back and forth. It just is weird. So this is Pandora's Jar, Women in Greek Myths. Uh, this is actually an arc that we found at like Goodwill or something. Uh, but this is just a look at the um, the different women in Greek myths, uh, but from a more feminist point of view. So it says the teller of great myths. Historically, men have routinely routinely sidelined the female characters. When women do take a larger role, they are often portrayed as monstrous, vengeful, or even pure evil. Like Pandora, the woman of eternal scorn and damnation, blamed for causing all the world's suffering and wickedness when she opened the forbidden box. But as Natalie Hayes reveals in early Greek myths, there was no box. It was a jar, which is far more likely to have tipped over. Mm. So still look I love things like that and um, like Pat Barker's doing that a lot with like the yeah. feminization of tales and stuff I still need to read I didn't read I- Ithaca North I- I- Claire. the new Ithaca it's the I think like Clara North just came out, right? yeah I didn't get because Hazus and I are supposed to read it together and we haven't read it yet so
0: okay
1: um, he's been a little distracted so anyway. yes uh, so then I have Secret Nature this was sent to me by somebody who was this sent to me by Oh, this is from Knopf. This is Sacred Nature, Restoring Our Ancient Bond with the Natural World by Karen Armstrong. And this just found – it when I was reading the summary, it gave me, like, the potential for it to give me braiding sweetgrass feelings. Um, I don't think it – I don't know if it can be braiding sweetgrass, but – I'm hoping yeah. that it can put me back sort of in the same sort of headspace, uh, a profound exploration of the spiritual power of nature and an urgent call to reclaim that power. in every day since the beginning of time, humankind has looked upon nature and seen the divine in the writings of the great thinkers across religions. The natural world inspires everything from fear to awe to tranquill- tranquil contemplation, God or however one defines the sublime was present in everything yet today, even as we admire a tree or take in a striking landscape we rarely see nature as sacred so this is it's a, a nice way of I'm, looking at nature i want to go camping and just read this book that's you that's know really like, what how, I
0: like how you knew i was going to ask for this one i knew you were going to ask for that one but i was like hard pass for me ma'am <laughs> but i knew that you would get it a hundred percent and then my last one is from Hachette, and this
1: goes out in February, actually. So keep your eyes out for it. And it's Madame Restell, the life, death, and R- resurrection of the New- old New York's most fabulous, fearless, and infamous infamous abortionist. I can't talk anymore by Jennifer Wright. So ooh. Um, this is a story of one of the boldest women in America's history, a self-made millionaire, a celebrity in her era and a woman beloved by her patients and despised by the men who wanted to control them. An industrious immigrant who built her business from the ground up, Madame Restell was a self-taught surgeon on the cutting edge of healthcare in a pre-gilded age New York, and her bustling boarding house, quote unquote, provided birth control, abortions, and medical assistance to thousands of women, rich and poor and like. As she pract- as her practice expanded, her notoriety swelled, and Restell s- established herself as a prime target for tabloids. Threats and lawsuits galore. But far from fading into the background, she defiantly flaunted her wealth, parading across the city in designer clothes, expensive jewelry, and bejeweled carriages, rubbing her success in the faces of the many politicians, publishers, fellow physicians, and religious figures determined to bring her down. Unfortunately for Madame Rastel, her rise to the top of her field coincided with the greatest scam you've never heard about the campaign to curtail women's power by restricting their access to both health care and the careers of their own. Powerful secular men threatened by women's burgeoning independence persuaded Christian leadership to rewrite Christian morality and declare abortion a sin endorsed by newly minted male MDs, eager to edge out the feminine competition and turn medicine into a standardized male only practice by unraveling the misogynistic and misleading lies that put women's lives in jeopardy. Wright simultaneously restores Restel to her rightful place in history and obliterates the faulty reasoning underlying the very foundation of what was has since been dubbed the pro-life movement
0: now okay self-taught surgeon uh, that sounds really interesting like really really interesting maybe so this comes out in february to.
1: this comes out in february so we can we can read it together if you want me to hold on to it i think yeah. that this is
0: going to be i really hope that this is going to be a really
1: big book and it's gonna piss a lot of people off and that makes me happy so yeah <laughs> Yes. So that's Madame Rastel. And this is out, it says February 28th on the spine, but you know, things change. Yeah.
0: That could change. Yeah. Wow. Ending on a bang and still medicine. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm intrigued by that one. Seriously. Yeah. So why don't you talk? Do you have a book recommendation? We do. We gave you all so many recs for, um, nonfiction november and of course read nonfiction whenever you want not just in november
1: yes nonfiction i can't is good i can all year round i can't read it much this month because i've got nano going and i i can't i can't
0: <laughs> yeah yeah all right i'm going to recommend this book that i just read this week it's called harrow by joy williams i love that thank you so very much Thank you, Vintage, for this copy of Harrow. This was my first time reading Joy Williams, um, and it was an experience, and now I need to read more of her stuff. So it says, In an uncertain landscape after an environmental apocalypse, a world in which only the man-made has value, teenager Kristen's failing boards boarding school for gifted students closes its doors. When she finds that her mother has disappeared... She ranges across the dead landscape and washes up at a resort on the shores of a mysterious putrid lake the elderly residents there call Big Girl. In a rotting honeycomb of rooms, these old old ones plot actions to punish corporations and people they consider culpable in the destruction of the final scraps of nature's beauty. Uh, what will Kristen and Jeffrey, the precocious 10 year old boy, she meets there learn from this Gabby sedacious lot and the worst of health, but with kamikaze hearts an army of the age and ill, the determined to refresh through crackpot violence and a plundered earth. This was one of the strangest books I've ever read. And one of the most delightful. And it's very short. Yeah, it was delightfully really short. It's only like 200 or like three pages. I'm I'm going to have to read it again because I thought that I could like listen to this while working, but I really I really couldn't. So I'm gonna like just read it again physically. but this was very interesting and very strange. And now I'm so intrigued with who Joy Williams is as an author. She has quite a few novels and short stories and even has a, f- a handful of nonfiction books so i feel like i'm getting ready to go down a joy williams rabbit hole <laughs> but i highly recommend give a hero a read it was strange and quirky and i loved it i like it i gotta try it um
1: i again i think i may have recommended this before but i'm only recommending this now because the sequel just came out so you're getting a refresh so that you get the sequel. And that is The Beautiful, The City We Became by N.K. Yes. Jemison. The, the sequel arrived last week. I, 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 I have a broken record. When I get done with Nano, I'll be back to normal. but Because um, I won't be as like, I'll still be writing, but not in the same, fer- with the same ferocity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... So this is basically like an ode to New York City. It's also a fantasy, an urban fantasy based in New York City. Uh, our main characters are each um, a- embodiments of each borough. Uh, there, is a, like, there is a presence that is attacking the city uh, and waking the city to life. And New York City as a whole is sort of missing. It's one of the characters. Um, and the boroughs are kind of having to... Work together or not to find New York City, and they have to eventually take down this this force that is coming for them. I think that's the best way I can describe this. Yeah, uh, but um, it is a it is a not for everybody story, but for those it is for, I think it is much beloved. Um, the audiobook is phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot of like, I don't even know if it's specifically sound effects, but it's the way. Mm-hmm. The story is written and the way sound is written into the story, it becomes very immersive and it's a really lovely auditory experience. And Staten Island sucks. Boom. Boom. Staten Island sucks. Real life, fantasy life, Staten Island sucks. So, <laughs> yeah. City there We Became. Is. Book two is out now. I can't remember the freaking name of the title. Do you remember it?
0: I need to reread The City We Became before I read the sequel. Mm -hmm. And I just listened to a wonderful interview with her as well. Uh, She was on the Ezra Klein podcast and the LA review of books. Is that right? The LA review, excuse me, of books uh, just replayed that interview. And it was fascinating.
1: She's really like her brain is so impressive. I need to go back to what's the other one called Broken Earth?
0: I need to reread that whole trilogy. I read the f-
1: first one and then I never got to the second one. And now it's been so long. I need to reread the first one and go through. I need to read that more consecutively, I think, cause I don't think I realized how big brain that book was.
0: That book is still and- a big brain.
1: And it was so brilliant when you got to the end. And I did that. did myself such a disservice by not just continuing on. Um, yeah. Like one book after another, that was really like a stupid dodo brain of me. Um, but yeah, I do have to get back to that. That one, yeah,
0: I, I would like to reread that trilogy because what I really want to do is like read her other series, what the The Inheritance mm-hmm. uh, series that she has. Like, I want to read all of her stuff, but I need to read the Broken Earth trilogy again.
1: What I find so interesting about N.K. Jemisin is that there are so many varied opinions on each of her series, uh, but overall, it's an overwhelming just love of her as an author and her yeah. skill. But it's so, I feel like her series and tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like I've only read the first book in two series now. Right. And they're so very different. And I, yeah. and I wonder if all of the series are kind of like that. So like she has, she has, She'll, like, if that's your series, and if that's the way that you connect with her as an author, like, you're gonna love her. But then, when you read the next one, you're not really sure. So, you have this like great respect and admiration for mm-hmm. her as an author, but then it's like her, your reactions to her series seem to vary so wildly from person right. to person. So, it's it's very interesting to watch people talk about N.K. Jamison. I have a yeah, it's like fundamentally, she is just a genius and then yes. everything like the, the little minutia things are just all over the place it's so fascinating and i like, think why is. people didn't like things is interesting or why people loved things is interesting I just find her very fascinating
0: it is it really is yeah. um i just think she's a phenomenal writer and she is you know you and i that read- is like
1: uncontested but she's a phenomenal sure. writer it's just like I mean, is that I particular think- book for you
0: i think you read way more fantasy than i do like on the whole like on, you know, year by year, but we do definitely enjoy fantasy. And I think that I'm, I've been learning as a reader, what I enjoy most about fantasy. And I don't like a lot of young adult fantasy. I like a lot of adult fantasy. I like epic fantasy and I really, really like uh, dark. And I still do find some urban fantasy quite enjoyable, like that new Lilith St. Crow series that I found about the devil's necromancer. Like I really am into Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I will tell you, like, I am hard-pressed to find Black fantasy writers that write adult epic fantasy and adult grimdark fantasy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's N.K. Jemison, who I would consider an epic fantasy, you know, an, an adult epic fantasy writer. I know Evan Winters exists. I don't know if that's Grimdark darker. We this need epic- to
1: read. We need to read *Rage of Dragons*. So we really we do, do need to read it.
0: But I know about those two. But like, whenever anyone else is recommending black fantasy authors, they're giving me stuff like *The Blood Trials*, Legendborn, Born*. But those that level of fantasy doesn't appeal to me because it reads to me like YA. Although it's a dope, but I think it's it feels like it's written for people. Who I don't are just think *Legend Born* is put so- into fantasy.
1: Legendborn's YA. I always thought Legendborn was Is YA. It? Maybe I'm wrong. But Legend... And I think that Legendborn gets a lot of flack because... And I can see it. I think it's one of those books that, though written by a Black author, has been tweaked to be accepted by a mainstream white audience, if that makes any sense. Yes, it, it does. That's it.
0: why all of her surroundings are white people.
1: Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. I really enjoy it. I enjoyed Legend Boy and like nobody's business because it made me think of, do you remember the Skulls, that,
0: yes, that movie? The movie?
1: Yeah, for some reason, that's yeah. what it reminded me of. So I had all these like great nostalgic vibes. And I thought that our main character was, was, you know, really powerful and wonderful. And I really enjoyed it. But like, I'm a white woman. So my perspective is very different. So like... You know, it's it, yeah. I'm not the, the final valid answer on this, uh, but I can see the criticisms that people have of it. But I also really enjoy it. <laughs> I think it's good. I don't think um, that. Yeah, I think you can criticize a work. Oftentimes you can still criticize a work because um, you're reading it critically, but also still understand that there is fundamentally oh, yeah. something enjoyable about the book for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know if there's a, I'm sure there are a lot of people. I just don't know any off the top of my head. I got this one book. It's like the stone and something. I think it's L. Pellinelope or something like that is the author. And I believe, Uh I, I know she's a black author, Um I haven't read it yet, but it became very highly recommended as fantasy. And I picked up a used copy. So we could try that together if you wanted. And I also am yeah. curious about this book. And I think it's YA, but I'm very curious about it. The final strife. It's supposed to be very See, inclusive. That
0: does not appeal to me. That's what I'm talking about. It's that's very, very inclusive I'm about. from
1: yeah. everything from like disability to different, like, you know, racial kinds of include like and cultural inclu- inclusivity. Yeah. Um but yeah. But no, that's what I'm
0: saying. Like I I I can't like it is, it is so hard, and, and, and maybe there are. You, you, you should read what you should read.
1: You should read the seventh cadence by my I mean, friend Jim. It.
0: I'm gonna read it. I have it. Thank you. Thank you for sending that to me, Emergent Realms. But that's what I'm talking about. Like, and, and maybe there aren't many black authors that write adult epic fantasy and adult grimdark. Maybe that's why I can't really find them. You know what I mean? So, and I keep thinking about why does a lot of YA turn me off? And I'm starting to think it's because, like, I've already lived that life. Like, I have raised two teenagers. I'm not really excited about reading YA things because I've lived the very YA life, parenting teenage. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, the very for me.
1: specific YA things that interest me at this point, and yeah. I could not tell you specifically what they are. But when I read them, I'm like. Yep. Uh, and it probably all stems back to some sort of nostalgia for my teenage years. And if you hit mm. onto that, then I will be, that's like my guess. without actually really thinking too hard about this. Um, yeah. That's really what it it comes down to. I, I think a lot of times YA is just too formulaic. Like if you read a lot of YA, they tend to sound, at least in my, for me, they end up reading all the same and yeah. there's the stakes aren't high enough. the, in fantasy like the violence isn't gritty enough uh because the stakes aren't high enough um you know there's there's just a grit to it that's missing for me i want a little bit more because i because i'm older i I just spit on my computer Uh, (laughs) i'm older i want i want more i i don't just want some decent battle scenes and some good little like flirty tension and whatever and like well, it's the boring. to get the girl it's
0: boring to me it's boring. When we get to well. the angsty parts of why it's like I have like lived this in real life raising teenagers it's like I don't want to read this crap in books but and, and yes and I am an older woman and so I want to read about other things but then there are these like unicorn of YA writers where I enjoy their work like a Tiffany D Jackson like a Charles Bush like like I'm a Melinda Lowe or Lou or Lowe. Hmm. Like the way they write YA doesn't Low. feel so YA to me, so I can give them a chance, but
1: on the but A whole- lot of the people that you mentioned write a lot of contemporary work. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: Yeah. But That's on the too. whole, I'm very turned off by YA and like, look, if you're a YA reader, don't get in your, don't get your knickers in, a twist don't, get in this. don't
1: get in your feels, all right? We're two the, old ladies saying, expressing.
0: Nobody's saying don't read YA. What I'm saying is I don't really enjoy YA because I'm an old ass lady and I want to read about things with an older population. And mm-hmm. when it comes to fantasy, I like my fantasy super dark, super gritty and super mm-hmm. like intricate. And I don't find you get that with YA. Although there are some Y series that I enjoy, it's just not a lot. But if yeah. you are an an adult high fantasy, epic fantasy reader, or an adult grimdark reader, and you have run across an author of color that writes that, let me know because I have not found them.
1: I feel like I'm an old lady. I've experienced too many things. I need, like, if you want me to feel something, you got you to gotta go a little harder because I... I'm jaded yeah. like you got, you gotta really it's like why I can't read a lot of thrillers anymore they're they're formulaic yeah. and boring and I don't like them if you're gonna if I'm gonna read a thriller I have to not be able to predict the ending and if I can't predict the ending I want to still be invested in watching you unfold how we get to where I predicted
0: yeah
1: and I want you to really f me up like I want I don't I want to be like wowed and some. absolutely I'm just like everywhere today what is wrong with me
0: I am just <laughs> We're you're us. snotty We're I'm the- spitting <laughs> welcome to but- the podcast
1: <laughs> We're but I, I I just want more I think sometimes what happens when you read a lot of a genre is like once you start to be able to like see all the ways a lot of a lot of writing a lot of movies and story-based things are formulaic in some sense and i think like once you start to pick up too much on the formula and once it starts to get a little repetitive or like a story you've read before like oh shit i yeah. can predict where this is going and it's kind of right. yeah, you start to be like well let's one up the ante and you just keep upping the ante until you're mm-hmm. reading like i don't know six guys banging a ch- <laughs> in like right. a sex dungeon because the cute fa- the cute romance, the meat cute romance you read six years ago is, is no just not cutting it. it anymore. Yeah,
0: <laughs> like- yeah, exactly. 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 It's you know- we're, we're
1: all just drug addicts and our drugs are bucks.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So, you know, and again, like maybe I'm looking for something that doesn't really exist, but, you know, I just thought I would put that out there in case there's a reader out there that actually has some recommendations because I don't know any.
1: I think there are black fantasy authors that write adult fantasy, but you're right. I don't, I can't think of many off the top of my head because there probably aren't as many that are picked up by the mainstream. Yeah. Because yeah. the mainstream is, is Brandon Sanderson and his kind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I need to really, I need to go down the indie train and see if there's any that I'm, that I'm missing.
1: There's a lot of, I really, I, I'm really grateful that self pub and indie publishing has become a much more well-respected industry. Cause when yeah. people first started self pubbing, it was like, there was like a stigma to it. You were like, "Oh, you're you know, was you're not
0: good enough, so you had to do it yourself."
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there are some really phenomenal writers. There's still really shitty writers. It's not like there aren't shitty writers, but there's really shitty writers that get traditionally pubbed. So,
0: damn but, straight there are.
1: But it's it's just really nice to see this growing and growing and growing and evolving community of people that are being like, "Screw you," and I'm going to put my my story out because there's some really great stories out there, and they deserve to be read and I'm glad that they're getting their, their time
0: for sure. For sure. And read the
1: seventh cadence already lady.
0: I know I I probably will not get to it until the new year. I'm not even going to pretend like I'm going to read it this year. It's not going to happen. That's
1: fine. It's long.
0: Yeah. It's going to be January when I've kind of cleared the decks for the things that I'm already in the mood to read uh, this month and next month. And um, it's a lot like I am in a, I am in a mood. I'm in a mood.
1: it's good. It's really interesting. I can't wait to see where he goes with it. There's a lot of characters. I'm impressed with what Jim's created, and yeah. um, the little novella he just came out with is good too.
0: Yeah, he sent me both things.
1: And by the way, that's he my title. We both. That's my title. What's your title? Uh, the the um, the the title of his his new novella. He had me read an early draft and he was asked me for help with the title. So I helped him title it.
0: That's amazing. I love <laughs> that.
1: I love Jim. Jim's fantastic. We love Jim.
0: I love that so much. Oh, I just
1: realized I have an email. I have to answer from him. Shit. Okay. I gotta do that. We need
0: to, we need <laughs> to get him, get him on the show. You
1: need too. to read the seventh cadence and we need yeah. to get Jim on the show because Jim is lovely.
0: Yeah. I'm into it. I'm and into it. I like it. what he's
1: doing with this little YouTube channel. It's not a lot of, videos, but what he does is very high quality and...
0: I wish he would put out more. I like his channel.
1: Yeah, the discussions he's having about the fantasy genre. Fantasy genre. Fantasy genre is very interesting.
0: I have a podcast.
1: Um, (laughs) I keep (laughs) saying that. Someone lets me talk into a microphone. Uh,
0: Yeah. Anyway, so you all have lots of recs for nonfiction. I keep wanting to say non-profit November. Nonfiction November, let us know what you...
1: I mean, if you want to donate money one to, to
0: us, read, you luck. know, let us know. Let us know. We're gonna get out of here because we don't feel good. All right. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Leave us a review. Share this with a friend or two or ten <laughs> or fifty, whatever. Chat with us on Instagram. All that good stuff. That's gonna do it for <laughs> us. These two sick old ladies are out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye well, we've come to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We kindly ask that you go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our show and leave a review. That would help us out tremendously. Don't forget to follow TBR Lowdown on Instagram at TBR Lowdown and visit our website for show notes, the link to join our Discord book club and other information at tbrlowdown.com. You can follow me, Naomi, on Instagram at BookLadyReads and follow Alyssa on Instagram at NerdyNurseReads. Thanks again for listening and for your support. Until next time.